0: Imagine an organization with the mission of finding fault with nearly everything everyone else does. In a nutshell, that's exactly what the Government Accountability Office does do. And it's a good thing. In fact, my next guests argue the highly productive GAO should get even more funding. Dan Lips is Director of Cyber and National Security at the Lincoln Network. Dan, good to have you on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And Tony Mills is Director of Science Policy at R Street. Thank you. Thank you. And they join me now in studio. And let's get to it. You are arguing in print and around Washington that the GAO should be highly funded. It is. It got an increase. What's your basic take on the GAO? In my
1: view, the GAO is one of the best investments that taxpayers make every year. Going back over the past 20 years, GAO has averaged uh, more than $100 saved for every dollar spent on that agency. That's added up to more than a trillion dollars in savings. And this goes through different administrations that are both Republican and Democrat. The mission is to inform
0: Congress and to help make the government work better
1: and to find taxpayer savings. That
0: metric, their ratio of savings, comes from them. Is it independently verifiable?
2: Any government agency is going to have a certain amount of uh, interest in, in, in making its own case, for sure. But I think the GAO is one of those agencies that, for the most part, though it will from time to time be in the news for getting into political waters or something like this flies under the radar and does well respected nonpartisan work. So I think it's fair to say that the uh, the nation's top auditor, you can trust its numbers uh, for
0: the most part. And I think one of the things that people do like about it, including federal agencies that might get audited and that's every one of them eventually, is that GAO auditors don't play gotcha games. The reports are vetted and circulated among the people affected by them, they get a chance to answer, and they're not made public till everyone agrees on At least their stances. and not that everyone agrees with every recommendation, but it's on the record and it's all vetted before it gets out. They don't leak. Well, they leak to the big papers sometimes a a day ahead, but you don't get what's cooking ahead of time there. Safe to say? Absolutely. They're very transparent in their findings
1: and they do go back and forth with agencies to make sure they're getting the facts straight, which, which is one of the reasons why
0: they're very trusted on Capitol Hill. And they're trusted by all sides politically too, aren't they? Absolutely. What's the reason for that? basically. What's the secret sauce, I guess I should say?
2: I would say that you know, one of the unique things about the GAO is it's among the congressional support agencies. And so it's it has a somewhat independent stature vis-a-vis Congress, but it's there to support Congress. And Congress is, is composed of multitude of viewpoints and interests. So I think that political structure, even though maybe counterintuitively, actually allows these agencies to function in a way... Um, where they really have to serve a wide range of constituencies. And so it's very important that their work is well-respected and that they get the numbers right, they get the facts right.
0: Now, I know your two organizations have been concerned with the assessment of technology and scientific topics that are really important to the federal government. And this came up in consideration of whether the Office of Technology Assessment should be revived. And at the same time, the GAO is standing up its own science and technology organization And now the National Academy of Public Administration has rendered its opinion and that there should be some other body, but not built the way the old OTA was. So what's your feeling about where that's all headed? Right? Wrong? Correct?
2: There are a lot lot of pieces to that question. So the OTA, which was created by statute in 1972, operated from 74 to 95. When it closed in 95, not long after some of its functions were lodged over in GAO as a sort of experimental technology assessment program. And over time, it's been doing more and more of that. Just last year, it started a science technology assessment and analytics team, STAA, whose primary purpose is to build out more of this capacity. Um, Different uh, policy analysts, scholars, have different views about the best way to reintegrate technology assessment. But the fact of the matter is, GAO has been doing this, and they're doing a good job with it. And so our argument is essentially that all of the above. The GAO is requesting more support to increase its activities here. uh, We should give it to them, and there may be other entities that could support that effort as well.
0: We're speaking with Tony Mills. He's Director of Science Policy at R Street, and also Dan Lips is Director of Cyber and National Security at the Lincoln Network. And I guess Looking at your titles, Director of Science Policy and Cyber and National Security, that's really a big integrated complex in many ways from the standpoint of federal agencies. Absolutely. And that's one
1: of the reasons why JO is so valuable. One of the exciting things that they're doing over the past year and where some of this new funding will go is to use data analytics to enhance and improve and modernize federal oversight. Uh, most of us are ex- have experienced data analytics, whether it's the bank notifying you when a transaction's happening to make sure it's approved. When it comes to GAO using data analytics, the federal government uh, wastes something in the order of $100 billion a year on improper payments. If we can use data analytics in a way that's more uh, aggressively and more continuously providing oversight, whether it's through oversight or by federal agencies themselves, you could yield lots of taxpayer savings and make the government work a lot better.
2: And specifically on the issue of, of the technology assessment side, I think your question speaks to a kind of broader political issue, which is that lacking sufficient expertise in Congress, Congress has historically tended to defer to executive agencies. And it's, that's, not, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, it's somewhat surprising that Congress didn't have a scientific agency uh, to speak of prior to 1972, the closing of OTA kind of brought things back to the pre-OTA norm. This is a kind of investment that has a sort of constitutional payoff because it empowers Congress to do its job better to oversee federal agencies.
0: I mean, Congress has always been, its members have always been partisan, but it seems like they're more partisan than ever. And some of the newer crop seems to be coming to Washington because of that partisanship. And you see in those particular members a concomitant almost ignorance about Real issues that are confronting the country that matter to millions of people, and it's not the political slant on this or that, but we have a imperative to maintain technology edge in cybersecurity and national security and all of these things. And you wonder where the the members are of yesteryear that had deep and abiding interest and knowledge of these really arcane matters.
2: Well, no, that's absolutely right. I think a piece of that story is also the declining congressional capacity overall over time. So the number of congressional staff whose job it is to be policy experts has declined over time. The proportional share of budget for congressional staff is going more and more to political staff who do important work. But the fact of the matter is it leaves Congress with a kind of expertise deficit. And entities like GAO, OTA when it existed and others uh, the Congressional Research Service, are there to sort of supply that expertise. So I think it's the chicken or the egg kind of problem. Lacking that kind of expert capacity in the institution, perhaps you're going to attract a different kind of member.
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Dan, that Tony raises. Often you see people leaving Capitol Hill employment with mm-hmm. a great deal of expertise in a very important, if narrow, area and going to a think tank, going to a company, sometimes even going to a federal agency. Does the reverse happen? Someone has so much knowledge that golly, I'd like to take this to Congress. Is that an attractive option for anybody anymore? Absolutely. I
1: think that as a former well, that's con- good. <laughs> as a former congressional staffer, I've seen the incredible work and talent that happens behind the scenes and under the radar on Capitol Hill. And when it comes to a group like the GAO, often a congressional staffer, it's difficult given the pace of work and the changing dynamics of the news and of the day to really dig in on the most pressing issues, GAO is able to look at questions over the long term and report back to Congress in a way that's nonpartisan and trusted on uh, both sides of the aisle, uh, which is incredibly valuable. When a, a GAO expert comes into Congress, uh, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, they'll, they'll definitely have a fair hearing and their views are trusted in part because they have that expertise and the ability to look at something outside of the
0: lens of politics. Dan Lips is Director of Cyber and National Security at the Lincoln Network. Tony Mills is Director of Science Policy at R Street. Thank you both for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.
1: Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free.